really glad you decided to join us and participate with us today, whether you're on-site or online. Either way, we are deeply appreciative of your participation with us today. Today we're going to talk about uh, King Jesus. Who is completely different from every king you we've ever had in this world? Sorry, I just realized this stool is not quite even. It's not my. It's not me. I don't have. For a moment, I thought I was, you know, being dizzy, but no, it's. The stool, one leg is just that wee bit shorter than the other one. So, okay, that's a comfort. Comfort to know that it's not me. Okay, maybe it is me. I don't know. Ah. As followers of Jesus, the most important thing we can do in our lives is to see him. Obviously not physically yet. That day will come. But with our hearts, our minds, our spirits to begin to grasp and understand who he is. Because as we focus our attention on him, we become like him. So we're going to ask the Spirit to help us do that. Holy Spirit, we need you. We must see Jesus. We were made to focus our gaze on him. Jesus and his life, not in, not in some general way, but in a thousand specific ways, has to become the focus of our vision. So open our eyes, Holy Spirit. We want to see Jesus so that we can become like him. Amen. <clears throat> We've been doing a series of studies about ancient words uh, based on this basic premise that the fastest way to misunderstand a person uh, particularly a person from another time and another place, is to assume that we are, or to suppose that we know the definition of the words they're using. Uh, and ignore the fact that words often have different meanings at different times and in different places, even now. I remember when my wife and I moved to Kentucky for me to go to school, and we both started working at the University of Kentucky Medical Center. As part of her orientation, she was given a, uh, an eight by, half by 11 packet about a quarter of an inch thick that was an Appalachian-English dictionary. You know, you've heard of Spanish, English, French, English dictionary. Well, it, uh, there's an Appalachian dialect. We, the folks in Appalachian Mountains speak 
a dialect of English that you may not understand. We understand that. We've met people from the UP. Some of you understand, because when I moved here, you thought I was from the South. Well, technically, Indiana is south of Michigan. But south is like Kentucky, Tennessee, and Georgia. Where they sign y'all. And they will tell you that I just butchered it. But you think I didn't. That's fun. Right? There's, there's, there's words that are different. One of the... Uh, uh, the most interesting things that we, we ever do is assume that because someone says a word that we are associated with or, we, or that we're accustomed to, to think that they mean the exact same thing that we mean. And that can become humorous or it can become dangerous. The records of Jesus' life and ministry used ancient words from his Jewish heritage, and we need to understand those words, the words from the ancient, what, 2,000 years ago, to me that's pretty ancient, uh, but some of the words came from even before that. Uh, we need to understand those words, what they meant to Jesus and to the people of those days so that we can understand what they mean to us because we may have been told these words mean this when in fact they mean more than that or something else and that's what we've been looking at and today uh, while there are a whole lot of other words we probably can talk about today is the, the last one we're going to talk about uh, in this series of studies we're going to look at Mark Chapter 1, we're still in Mark chapter 1, because uh, that's the foundation for the rest of the gospel that we're going to be looking at uh, throughout this year. Mark chapter 1, I'm going to read verse 1, which is like the title for the entire gospel, and then we're going to go to verses 14 and 15, which is a summary of Jesus' preaching. So. Jesus had a sermon in a sentence, and we're going to read it. I like it. See, there's nothing new under the sun. Even Jesus had a sermon in a sentence, and we're going to have one this morning, too. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Gospel of Jesus Christ. That phrase can mean either it's the gospel that Jesus Christ proclaimed, or the gospel about Jesus Christ. Or, it could also mean the gospel about Jesus that Jesus proclaimed. Now, I'll tell you what I think, because I've always been kind of a both-and kind of person. I think it means the last thing. I think Mark did said, use that, that structure on purpose. He wanted to say two things at once. This is the message Jesus brought, and it's a message about himself. We'll talk about what exactly the gospel is in a moment. And now Jesus, it tells us, John chapter 1, verse 14, 
After John was in prison, Jesus went into Galilee and proclaimed the gospel of God. Again, this is the gospel about God or the gospel proclaimed by God or the gospel God proclaimed about God. And here's the sermon in a sentence. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. Here's a quick review of some of these words we've looked at. They're all here in this passage. The gospel, the good news, is another way of saying that. The good news about Jesus and God is not a set of doctrinal statements. Gospel, good news, means the history of God's actions through Jesus that launched a whole new era of history, a era of restoration and healing. The gospel is not simply moral advice or a recipe for private spirituality. It's an announcement about Jesus that opens up a whole new reality in our world. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. Dropping some teasers. Hopefully that will help you stay awake a little longer. God's prophet called the prophets in the what we call the Old Testament, God's prophets called this new era that Jesus brought in with the gospel, the age to come. The word repent means to turn around and head toward God. Isaiah, the ancient prophet, described our, our situation like this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has gone our own way. That's us. As human beings, we just go out and do our own thing. And Jesus comes and says, turn around and come back home. And then he says, we need to believe. To believe involves more than merely saying that, it, again, a certain list of statements or doctrines is true. While that is not, I'm not saying that that's not important. I'm just saying that that's only a fraction of what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is calling us to a faith that involves trusting him with our, your whole heart, Believing in him, not just in his existence, but in him as his, in his character and in his person with your whole mind and aligning your whole life with his life. It's more than simply saying these things are true. It's saying, I belong to Jesus. I trust him completely. One of the reasons Dallas Willard is, is a, has written a lot about uh, what it means to follow Jesus in terms of being a disciple. And one of the things he wrote was, we are often troubled about our faith because we are trying to have faith for a particular thing, like patience. I want to trust God. I want to believe God will give me patience. Someone once said that the last thing in the world you ever want to ask for is patience. Because the other way to develop patience is to be placed in situations where you need patience. But, what? 
So, so say it's something else you need. Something else that you want. You're believing for a thing. Some kind of victory in your life. Some kind of salvation for another person. You're believing. You're, 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 I'm trying to have faith for this particular thing. But here's the deal. Dallas Willard says, the faith God wants to give us is not for a thing. Not for something we receive. But he wants to give us a faith for trusting him. I read it one more time because it wants you to catch the difference. The faith God wants to give us is not for something we receive, but for trusting Him. <clears throat> catch the difference? So our focus for this study, this, this, this time around, is Mark chapter 1, verse 15, what I call the ser Jesus sermon and sentence, uh, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is near, of God is near. So what is the kingdom of God? This is Jesus' uh, This is Jesus' message, the kingdom. Where, when and where will the kingdom of God appear? Another way to translate verse 15 comes like this, now is the time, here comes God's kingdom. So basically, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is right here, right now. It's not somewhere out there in space and time. It's not a future that we all dream of and hope to see. Uh, it's not a place we may never see. Uh, the kingdom of God is right here, right now. Jesus says it's right here, right now. Some of your translations might say the kingdom of God is at hand. And you're thinking, well, that doesn't mean it's here. Okay, exactly. How close is your hand? Is your hand somewhere where you're not? <laughs> yes, good point. I certainly hope not. Because if your hand is somewhere where you're not, it's not your hand anymore. And something very painful happened. So when and where will the kingdom of God appear? Jesus said the kingdom of God, 2,000 years ago, he said, the kingdom of God is right here, right now. So the next question is a very valid question. People have been asking it for a long time. If the kingdom of God is here right now, why are sickness, death, grief, sin, heartache, and evil still so widespread? If God's kingdom is here, if God's in charge, why is the world still a mess? That's a good question. I have an answer. I thought I just sit and watch it for a little bit. See, uh, we live in an overlap of time. So I have to draw a picture because I have to draw a picture. Well, to say it's a picture is probably an overstatement. It's it's a it's a chart. 
So we're going to have two circles. So I mentioned earlier that the uh, ancient prophets, God's people, uh, talked about The age to come. And they talked about living in the present age. If you can't read, that's what I wrote up there. If you can't read, it's because of my writing, not because of your eyesight. Trust me. Um. Cross. That's what that is. Jesus came and brought in the age to come, the kingdom. He brought it to the, into this present age. Uh, this present age is is one that's. Uh, it started with the creation, and it would certain, certain, shortly thereafter we screwed it all up. That was in his paraphrase. Uh, we messed it all up. We broke it. God left us in charge, and we crashed it. We said, we can know how to do this better than you know how to do this. And we broke everything. You name it, it's broken. You, all that list of things, wire sickness, death, grief, sin, heartache, and evil, still so widespread. We did it. That was not a part of God's creation. We made that mess. We continue to make that mess. That's this present age. The age to come is God fixing that and restoring that. And Jesus came and started that process. It's going to be finished. Now, this is going to be a little trickier for my... <clears throat> Jesus is coming back. Jesus returns. That will be the end of this present age. But this is where we live. Now. In the overlap, there's a tension. There's a tension in our faith, in what, where we live. There's a when we live, not where we live, but when we live. There's a tension when we live. There's a tension in our faith. God is faithfully unfolding the completion. His promises is age to come, when death is no more, when sickness is no more, when evil, destruction, when all those things have been taken away when all of the mess we've created is fixed. He even says, I am restoring all things right now. He started with Jesus, when Jesus came. He's in that process. As followers of Jesus, we are to be a part of that process. But 
It's not fully revealed yet. Obviously, that's why we're still asking the question, why is this stuff still around? Why is sin, death, hell, well, hell, well, depending on your view of life. Um, all right? Why, 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 is it, why, why is there still grief? Why is there still sickness? Why, why is there still evil? Why, why are these things still here? It's because it's not all completely here, not fully revealed. Jesus already rules and reigns over creation. But we don't yet see the fullness of his kingdom. And it's one of the reasons he tells us, in, taught us in the prayer that he taught us to pray, to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Because, well, in this time of overlap, we certainly want his kingdom to show up, and we certainly want his will to be done, but ultimately, we want his kingdom to become fully here, and his will to become fully known, as it is in heaven. He's already been victorious over darkness, but we still live in the effects of it. We live in this overlap as we're waiting for his coming. God is healing and redeeming those who seek him, those who turn to him. He's in that process of fixing us, but we are not yet even fully restored. We have to wait till the resurrection. We have to wait till Jesus returns. When Jesus returns, we're going to become like him completely. That's the promise. The struggle, this is the struggle for us. Both of these, and we live in this overlap, so both the present age and the age to come are true, and we really only want one of them to be true, right? We want the age to come alone to be true, unfortunately. I don't know if it's unfortunately, but in reality, we live in the overlap. That's where the struggle lies. Now there are those who become tired of the struggle and say, well, since I'm struggling, the age to come must be never coming. It must all be a pipe dream. I give up. This must be the only thing we've got and it's never going to get any better. Or there are those who think this is all we've got but we're going to make it better all by ourselves. And I go, yeah, we've got a great track record at that. Have you read your history? So what is the kingdom of God? There are five essential components needed for any kingdom in this, in this world that God has created. Uh, but if they're, they're true for God's kingdom as well. I, if you're going to have a kingdom, you need a king. I know some of these you're going to be going, well, that's obvious. That's one of them. Who is the king in God's kingdom?
Who's the king in God's kingdom? God is. God is. Yes, thank you. <laughs> That's why it's the kingdom of God. Who is Jesus? God. So Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus, God. That's our king. Uh, the second thing you have to have in a kingdom is that the king is ruling. If the king is not ruling, the kingdom is a mess. Uh, and in a good kingdom, the king, the king rules in acts of redemption and rules with authority. And in the kingdom of God, Jesus, uh, Jesus gave his life for us. And yet he still leads us because he conquered death with his resurrection. So you need a king, you need the king, the king needs to be ruling. The third thing you need is citizens. If there, if there's no if there are no citizens in the kingdom, the king is simply out for a walk. The citizens. Who are the citizens of God's kingdom? They're all the ones who are who have listened to Jesus, they have repented and have believed in him and are trusting in him and are submitting to his authority. Every single person who submits to his authority and trusts Jesus is a citizen of God's kingdom. It is wide open. The fourth thing you need is some kind of an expressed will. Uh, some kind of uh, a statement of this is how we live in this kingdom. This is how we do things. Uh, in the broadest sense, it'd be like something like the Sermon on the Mount or the other teachings of Jesus. Uh, but the, the most succinct way of saying it is, as Jesus would put it, the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's what it means to live in his kingdom. Summarizes the entire, Jesus said, it summarizes the entire Old Testament, and it summarizes the entire New Testament. Everything else is commentary on how in the world do we do that. You need a king, you need a king who's ruling, you need citizens who are part of that kingdom and who are submitting to the king's rule. You need an expressed will as to how you live in that kingdom, and you need a place. The kingdom has to have a place. Where's the kingdom's place? Jesus' kingdom, God's kingdom, is any place where two or three have gathered in Jesus' name. Which means... His kingdom can be anywhere, anytime on this planet. That's why it keeps growing. It just takes two of us showing up. The time has come. God's kingdom is near. Turn to God and believe the good news. So here's the sermon in a sentence. 
my sermon in a sentence for this study, recognizing Jesus as our king, changes everything, starts changing everything in our lives and in our world. Recognizing Jesus as our king starts changing everything. Jesus opened a whole new reality. He defeated and dismantled the works of the evil one and all the forces of evil through his life and death on the cross. His resurrection began the restoration of all the good that God intended for us from the beginning of time. And he ascended to heaven and is at the th on the throne of heaven. And he's received all authority on heaven and earth. He is the king of kings. He has no competition. He has no rival. He is in charge. He lives to intercede for us and to restore all things. The kingdom of God runs differently than every other kingdom you will ever meet. We have one well-known kingdom left in our world. They live in Buckingham Palace, you know, over there in England. King Charles was Queen Elizabeth, but now, now we have a king over there. How many servants does that king have? Does anybody have to adventure a guess? A lot! Guess who the main servant is in the kingdom of God? The king. The king serves his people in the kingdom of God. Even now, out on the throne, he intercedes for us. Even now, he works for us. Even now, he seeks to help us. He lives to help us and to restore us. He lives to work in us and through us to make us what we were created to be. He's turned the concept of kingdom right side up. It seems upside down to us. The kingdom of God does not refer to a place in the sky where we hope to go sometime by and by. The kingdom of God is an invading force, a force that's again invading the world when, when Jesus arrived. It is right here. The kingdom of God is right here, right now, and it expands each time a person surrenders to Jesus' rule and his reign. So the question that every one of us needs to answer is who rules your life? Who's in charge of your life? Who is your king? Or queen, if you would prefer. Who rules your life? You see, recognizing Jesus as your king starts changing everything. Who sits on the throne of your life? Is it you? What shapes all your choices and decisions? Is, 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 it, is it a relationship? Is it an addiction? Is it a, a worry or a dream? 
Who is your king? Is it Jesus? When you acknowledge Jesus is your king, your whole life starts changing. Everything it starts to become different. It takes time, but it changes everything. Let's pray. Jesus, you are God with skin on, dressed in our clothes, walking, talking, weeping, laughing, eating, drinking, working, and resting just like the rest of us. King Jesus, you're the source of the physical world and the spiritual world. You made the emotional and psychological, the people, the personalities, places, planets, and all the angelic powers. Nothing exists that you did not make. King Jesus, you're the divine bond, the mediator, the prince of peace, the architect. You hold, not only do you hold everything together, you hold the universe. You hold all the people. You hold all time, past, present, future. King Jesus, you created the church, this ragtag set of believers, this faulty family, but still the Holy Spirit's temple. Here we are struggling to get along sometimes, holding the treasure of your love in failing bodies. King Jesus, you were crucified, dead, and buried. The ultimate sacrifice. And now you're, you're resurrected, enthroned, and breathing new life into your followers. The ultimate servant king. Join with me in praying the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom the power and the glory forever. Amen. <coughs> Communion is a way for us to personally receive God's grace and experience his love. We practice and serve open communion, which means you don't need to be a member of our local church or denomination to share the Lord's meal with us. We invite everyone and all to participate, asking only that you recognize Jesus as your king. If you join us. If you need to renew that relationship with Jesus, there is no better time or place to do that. Or if you have never made a personal commitment to Jesus, 
this is the best time and place to do that as well. We invite you to participate. Communion is a reminder that Jesus gave his life for us. Here we declare our desire to give our lives to him. When we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we thank him and we consecrate ourselves to him. These are the visible reminders of the body and blood Jesus sacrificed on the cross for us. They're the ultimate signs of God's love and his forgiveness. Whether you choose to partake of the bread and the cup today or simply watching quiet meditation, <coughs> I hope that this is a life-changing encounter for you with the awesome truth that God loves you. I invite you to take the bread, peel back the seal and take the bread and eat the bread, remembering that Jesus died for you. May the body of our King Jesus, which was given for you, preserve your spirit, soul, and body until you see him face to face. and drink this cup, remembering that Jesus gave his blood for you. May the blood of our King, which was given for you, preserve your spirit, soul, and body until you see him face to face.
as you go to live as one sent to spread the good news and expand God's kingdom. May the beauty of Jesus shine in your eyes. May the love of Jesus shine in your actions. May the wisdom of Jesus shine in your words. May the grace of Jesus flow from your heart to eat, touch each person you meet this week. Amen. You are sent. Go work with the Holy Spirit. <laughs>